The following poem was sent to me by a mutual friend of Nate's. On the day the first episode of Eighth House Healers podcast aired, I could not believe what I was reading. Years before his untimely death, Nate seemed to know what he would become. I believe he is my spirit guide in this form, overseeing all that is good and right in my experience with life and ensuring that I use my voice to speak my truth. Mockingbird. My curtain swings in sleeve, a gondola unswayed, remonitored. At this digression's consent, congealed in shadow, I wipe the meringue from the sill. Modified in frame, the masses graze in suspension. One string's descent upon the herd, the valley forges unto my eyes one image. From this lofted perch I sit, I move across my mesa, each member in rally a full makeover, achieved, a new sector's incision, finding the place beneath one's neighbored, I do not contend. The worn, inbound lanes in sight, I find my place within, I seek outbound. The brush relays the density as it bears no trails yet made. With a step, I travel in a mockingbird. Hello friends, welcome to the 8th house of astrology, ruler of occult, magic, mystery, and truth. Join me, Sarah, a developing psychic medium with a scientific mind, and my good friend Eliza, a tarotist and thanatologist, as we explore, through the lens of the tarot, the healing hidden within the deepest and sometimes the darkest corners of the human experience. It's a big repeating symbol in my catalog. I've always had a, a long running thing with mockingbirds. I used to see them out and about a lot uh, in person. Um, when I was a teenager, I worked on a farm and there was one that used to sit on the fence post not far from the, the vegetable stand where I worked and he'd rattle through all his calls every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ever since then, I would just, I would see them all over the place. But um it's a big symbol for me. Uh, I've had issues with uh, chronic voice loss throughout my life. Um, I used to catch a lot of respiratory bugs before one of my conditions was uh, I have an autoimmune condition that wasn't uh, always diagnosed or managed well. Um, and before I got that figured out, I would catch like every respiratory thing going around and I would be, you know, losing my voice all the time, with, you know, bad colds and bronchitis and things like that. Um and then I've had other I've had other issues with voice loss from things like um, stage fright or artistic angst, people pleasing, um, the idea of voice loss through mimicry, like that you would get so many people's voices influencing your own or be trying to oh, adapt wow, yeah. your voice so much to, you know, to fit different situations and to, you know, to be able to get along with different people that, uh, mimicry and adaptation in itself can be a form of voice loss. If you lose track of what your Mm, actual tastes are and what your actual viewpoint is. So that's been a big running theme for me. Um, 
And but simultaneously, also the joy of expression and the the joy of having a lot of influences and um, you know like a lot of other people's yeah yeah voices and you know just as an artist and a creative like working in multiple media mm -hmm. having so many other artists uh and authors and speakers that get tangled up in your voice in a really positive and constructive way so that kind of double-edged sword of of mimicry as a a place where you can lose yourself and lose your voice but also a place where you can find expression and generate something new um so mockingbirds have been huge for me with with all that and um I recently found out, you know, like I had known all that stuff and kind of been working on it for ages. And then just in the last year, I found out I have the asteroid echo conjunct my natal sun, like zero degrees. It's like exactly on there. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, just another layer there of like, oh yeah, that checks out. Uh, Cause I'm a singer, like I'm a, I'm a singer with, with chronic voice oh. loss. And, yeah, um, right, I, right. An artist who trained, like my formal training mm -hmm. was in set design. So I trained to copy other people's styles to be able exactly. to do that on command. And it took me a long time when I got out of theater to develop my voice as an illustrator and figure out like, oh crap, what do, what do I like <laughs> without a director telling yeah. me what to do? No, that's so um, interesting. Cause yeah. I, I have the um, synesthesia thing <laughs> where yeah. I noticed that um, your, to me, your voice sounds like exactly like your art looks like it's it's all one and the same to me so it's like this really it really beautiful pure is the message that you're sending so I do think um it's perfect that you are um aligned with a mockingbird sort of thing yeah, um, whatever you want to define that as that's so nice to hear because, thank you for yeah, that no nope. yeah, <laughs> yeah of course I just think it's um so my mom always used to say, cause she, she actually has done a lot of murals and is really good at that. Like she says, no, I'm not an artist. I just trace stuff or I just project it. And I'm like, but you are, <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's you still are. an you artist. Are. <laughs> so um, totally. And she, in fact, also used to say, um, cause it used to bother me with my little sister used to say, um, you know, would like literally copy every single thing I ever did. And Mm -hmm. My mom would have to take me aside. She just thinks you're great. She's just trying to be like you. <laughs> and I've been guilty of doing that. I used to take notes on the popular girl who, who seemed to like, just know how to navigate life and social, social situations. I would take notes and, and try to be like that. <laughs> you know? So right. I think, <laughs> what is, what is it? Uh, flat or uh, something is the greatest form of flattery oh yeah yeah uh imitation is the sincerest yeah. form of flattery yeah <laughs> exactly so yeah. you know you can have people that really um positively influence your style and that's the cool thing I think about mockingbirds and it's it's like I mentioned in the magician episode that to me like I love blue jays and a lot of the mimids for the same reason because yeah they the mimicry thing. Um, and in fact, I have mm -hmm. a crow that now copies one of my inflections when I try to get Al to come outside with me and I come on, come on. And the crow's I, like, I love that. <laughs> oh my God. I'm obsessed with crows. I love I know, corvids. I know. <laughs> yeah. Corvids I and mimids are just like, oh, yeah, they're yeah. <laughs> but that, that yeah. magicianship, their, um, ability to, collect and tell stories in the, through their yeah. own voice. This is just so yeah. cool. And the, and you know, the and my amazing... son, 
is a mockingbird in my eyes. And I'm like, you got yes. He wants a tattoo. He's, you know, and he's always had the connection with the mockingbird and he's a vocalist too. And he has always oh, been beautiful. like, yeah, just the most, his voice honestly reminds me of you. It has that same, just ethereal purity that, um, I really want to listen to that. It speaks of like such timeless, like somewhere from truly beyond, you know, I just, I'm oh, like, Oh, gives you. me chills. Yeah. <laughs> I love to, um, I love to have my media entangled and it's just really nice to hear that uh, the kind of overlap between the paintings and music is working. I would love to hear more about your experience of synesthesia. Cause I kind of I relate to that a little bit too. Like I don't, um, I don't well, you see probably things, have it too. Yeah, I don't see things physically, but like I get really strong color and texture impressions from like tam combinations of pitches and timbres. So like sometimes yeah. like I'll get lyrics that like derive from melodies because of something visual that I'm seeing when I so I think of myself as like uh like a lyrical painter and a painterly exactly that's all uh, it is songwriter that, and like, that's exactly like, very tangled I... out. Yeah. Yeah. So people, for instance, will say <laughs> that about my photography, they're like, what? Like, cause I'm not very, I would not say that my visual, like my sight is not my strong sense. I, well, I almost would never have guessed that. <laughs> exactly. That's what people yeah. assume because I do photography and right. <laughs> the thing is auditory is my main, I'm very, um, like it forms my spatial relationships, the intermelding of those senses. And so yeah. when I take a picture, it's almost as if I'm trying to express what I'm sensing mm. through the only way I really know how to do it. So like for mm. me, when I was growing up and first into photography, it was all analog um, and you had to go to the dark room and I know all that darkroom stuff and yeah, it was really magical, you know, but oh, I, it is. I caught the tail end of that when I was in high school oh, and had lucky. just a little yeah. bit of, I know I feel so lucky for that. There's something about being in a dark room oh, with yeah. that, like red glow oh, and even the, the smell rippling of the waters. I know like, it's <laughs> so toxic and it's like, it's awful. I feel it's like, so yeah, it just you acclimate <laughs> to it. And it's like, mm -hmm. it was my home. Very, tactile it it is it's like a it is a creepy spooky womb-like beautiful yeah kind and of, so maybe I yeah. started like realizing that <laughs> my sense um of things happened a lot in the dark and I used a lot of echolocation like a bat or something and I just mm. like could tell what was going on around me from hearing the way the acoustics of the room were and things like that so and it was all mixed in with my smell and so and I that always hung out with with uh musicians and um so I honestly was with um a boyfriend who we always sat around in the dark in his apartment and he would you know play his classical guitar and I would take pictures and I'm always like I was always trying to make the exposure work even though it didn't you know, mm -hmm. the, because there was not enough light. So I would just mm -hmm. like practice, like being very still and just oh, keeping the shutter open for that long exposure mm -hmm. where you get that, you get a lot of blurs. Cause if there's any motion, the light it'll blur, but you have to have that in order to, uh, 
capture the image at all. So I would get these like surreal pictures and it was always kind of like my mom was saying like, well, where's the music? Like when she couldn't sleep, like, cause her dad played music in the night. So my thing with photography was like, where's the music? <laughs> cause yeah. it was always like, I was trying to photograph what I couldn't capture in any other way. Right. Um, cause I couldn't like just record it a sound clip that wouldn't be the same. So right. if I'm in the woods and I'm hearing and experiencing things on many sensory levels I have this sense like I can capture it in a photograph and so that's how when I describe like my tarot cards um I say it's sort of like dreamlike synesthetic or something because it's that's how I do it I mean it's just kind of interconnected that's very cool Uh, they and they are so dream like I ha- I have your deck with me here and um it's just this wonderful moody I love the color sense in it um just these beautiful little soft woodland details and the the lighting and all the textures it just has this very oniric liminal ephemeral quality to it it's one of the things that that uh, really drew me to it so. <laughs> You know, you do field trips to Salem and you learn about the witch trial history, like pretty young in grade school. And like, I, you know, as soon as I found out about that, I was just like hooked. <laughs> so, what was it that interested um, you exactly? Like if you could define it. Yeah, I think I, I think, I think I over identified with people, mm-hmm. <laughs> with people that were othered that way. Um, you yeah. know, even, even yeah. as a little kid, it was like, oh, like this is what they did to the weirdos, you know? Yeah, exactly. Back in the day. Yeah. So you're um, seeing yourself represented and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> right. I was assigned female uh, when I was a kid and I was raised to uh, believe that I was going to be a woman. Um, and, uh, you know, even when I was really young, I, didn't feel like the other girls and I didn't know why, like I didn't have language for that. But, you know, when they would talk about the witch trials and how, you know, a a lot of the victims were women who were unpopular or not liked or not understood by their communities or, um, uh, I don't think they told us this in school, but, you know, learning sense and it's always fascinated me and horrified me in the same token, the, uh, the number of people who were victimized, who were disabled, um, you know, like the, the witch trial history, um, has a lot to do with, uh, disability history and, you know, kind of precursor to eugenics, almost like a lot of the people that were targeted were people that, um, we're seen as a, you know, for whatever reason, a drain on, on their communities. And I'm doing air quotes on that because I don't agree with it um, at all. Uh, I think that's an abhorrent way to label people, but it is a way that our cultural forebears did label people. Um, when you're a kid and you're strange and you are having trouble communicating with your peers and you don't know why, don't have language yeah. for why you feel different and you're bullied and you just, I mean, it's representation. Know, it's that you took the yeah. best thing that you could get, you know, it, I did the same. It was, yeah, it was like, in some ways, it was the closest representation you had to something that exactly. like feels, feels uh, like you have some kind of a kinship there. And mm-hmm. how horrible in some ways <laughs> that that's, that that's what it has to be. And how, you know, how wonderful too. Because yeah, which we need to like, we need fascinating to fascinating. Uh, yeah. yeah, 
but I mean, I still, I, I'm still fascinated by uh, witch trial history and by uh, the witch as an archetype and what a yeah. massive multifaceted body of symbol that is now. Um, witchcraft, witch history and the occult in psychic and paranormal phenomenon. I was just always really interested in that from a young age. Um, but I wouldn't say that I believed things in a, in a man, in a matter of belief. Like I definitely was very agnostic, logical, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. yeah, as, as a young person and well into my teenage years. To um, me, that makes it even more valid, you know, that yeah, you are yeah. this type of person, but you also are this type of person. Oh yeah. I love, I, and I think it's really important to blend logic and intuition. And I do, you know, my suspicion is that, you know, when we're exploring spiritual phenomena, we're dealing with natural things that we don't understand yet. And that, you know, we may right. get more language and more understanding for as we uh, everybody has different stories about witches and, uh, you know, what yeah. witches are yeah. as a general thing, what witches were in history. Um, and some people will frame it as, uh, you know, it was the way the patriarchy victimized women. Some people will frame it as, um, you know, it was uh, magical practitioners that were criminalized or, or certain types of uh, midwives and, and things like that. Um, and those are, those are aspects, I think, of the, the history. And then there's also other parts of it that are different and complex and that, um, they were both top-down persecutions from church and state. They were also ground-up persecutions from community and, you know, ostr yeah. ostracism that was happening at a grassroots level for a lot of different reasons. And some of it was gendered and some of it was about uh, practices that scared people or that crossed the, you know, the church's new laws. Um, but also part of it was, uh, you know, what, what do we do with our, with, people who are sick and poor in our society that we don't want to deal with. And yeah. I think that that part of the picture, I really think does have to get looked at and acknowledged and talked about when we talk about um, the history of the witch trials and, and all those things. Yeah. No, and I'm the, really glad you brought that yeah. up. you're a nerd for artist biographies which I am um you you hear so many times different artists in history who had sickly childhoods or uh -huh. who were frail or chronically ill as adults and who got into art because they needed something to do while they were recuperating or mm -hmm. they needed something to do that they were able to do during a convalescence or during a permanent disability they weren't able to do what the other kids were doing or they weren't able to it's work almost like a window job. into the outside world yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I think art is the practice of art making is, uh, is very healing and releasing and cathartic and expressive when you're, uh, in an experience of, of difficulty or illness or morbidity. Um, you know, so there's that angle to it, uh, where I, I do think illness for a lot of people is an entry into the arts. Um, the the overlaps and connection between people who have visionary experiences and people who have mental illnesses like that's an entire can of worms <laughs> yeah. and I think some I do think sometimes it gets overblown too because there are a lot of people who are brilliant artists who do not have mental illness and uh you know there are a lot of people who suffer from mental illness who would not necessarily attribute positive things to it so it's it's complicated like I, I think those are things where 
a subset of the population is artistic, a subset of the population is intuitive, a subset of the population is ill um, physically and or mentally. And those uh, those circles on the Venn diagram can have a lot of overlap, yeah. but they can have just as much divergence too. Like I want to I want to be careful not to blanket mythologize all experience of illness True. or attribute artistic gifts to all experience of illness because that's not everybody's story. But for me personally, and I, and I know for a lot of artists in history, like, yes, illness has been um, linked to their art and uh, an entry point into art. Uh, I would not be doing any of what I'm doing right now publicly if I could work a normal job, like even just that practical logistic level. Yeah. You know, it has opened up something else. There's been post, you know, post-traumatic growth here as yeah. well as as lingering issues. There's been, um, uh, you know, all kinds of things that I'm able to do and share now because I have the time. Do I like how I got the time to do that? No, I don't. <laughs> would, I, yeah. would I have consciously chosen it? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> am I am I still looking for ways to, uh, you know, to to get back? Uh, to claw my way back out of the 12th house. <laughs> you know, I, I think about that all the time. Um, just that kind of pain that, and, and the marginalization that comes with it, uh, you know, trying to navigate it in society, it absolutely changes your uh, perception of other people. And I, I think a lot of times for the better, I think it does temper us and make us more compassionate and more uh, more inclined to listen to other people's experiences yeah. when we have yeah. different it's too bad we can't give ourselves. like um 12th house injections or something <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> imagine how that would go over um people won't even right. take a fucking vaccine are they gonna take a dose of the 12th <laughs> my kind of my worldviews, my philosophies that I come from are a combination of animist and agnostic. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and there, and both of those, both of those worldviews really kind of permeate everything that I do artistically. I was always uh, like psychic curious and wanting that stuff to be real and not necessarily believing it as, as a kid. And then, uh, you know, the more, uh, the more experiences I had, the more it, just kind of got wrapped into my worldview of like, okay, yes, this is, this is a thing that happens. These, these things happen. I, I don't know why I'm not going to claim to know uh, all the mechanics of it from a, you know, human vantage point where I don't have access to all these mysteries, <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah. So by now I would say my tarot practice is like a mixed, uh, mixed blend of intuition and that treating it as a psychological prompt. Uh, I think what um, appealed to me about it is that neutrality, that um, objectivity where yeah. if I'm reading for someone and they think like, you know, if I were psychic air quotes, I would be going, um, okay, I see you doing this in the future. And, you know, and I, it would be on me sort of. And that person would like mm -hmm. walk away and forever think, wow, that psychic said this was going to happen. Oh my gosh, it did. Or, oh no, it didn't. And I don't have that kind of control over the forces of no. fate and free no. will. And <laughs> so I love, um, and I'm just sort of that way as a person, um, is I don't choose sides. 
And so I like to just see things from an objective, holistic point of view. And so for me, it's just the perfect medium for that. It's like, um, yeah, that's just what the cards are saying. You know, I'm just interpreting their like, so it's interesting that some people have like a flash of insight or something and that, uh, evokes what they're, how they interpret and then how they communicate what they're seeing in there. So yeah, just, I, I would be really curious to hear how you go about interpreting readings or like even how you start like with what questions or because questions are befuddling to me I usually just design (laughs) it specifically to that person's needs you know yeah I I tend to do that too I'm very um I'm very uh spread heavy in my practice and so well it depends on what I'm doing um if I'm doing um you know if I have a question that I'm really struggling with and something uh, that I want to chew on, uh, you know, and kind of delve. So you're talking it. about what for yourself, for, for both myself and for other people, if okay. there's, if I'm reading for somebody else, um, I'll almost always use a spread. And for myself, um, if there's something that I really feel like I need a lot of detail and depth on, I'll use a tarot spread. Um, and I like to write a lot of my own spreads and I tailor them to the situation. And it, it helps me to have that like breakdown and that kind of uh, categorizing mm. thing. And, and, um, you know, breaking down a question into its component pieces to, uh, to clarify it, yeah. to organize it. And to well, see, that's really you know, cool. Cause out, like, I customize it yeah. by like the situation that the person is having myself or another person. Yeah. Um, and so I do the same thing, but I like, I don't, I can't prescribe the, so I I'm fascinated with how you're able to like have a sort of a prescripted um or how anyone has uh, a spread i don't understand like how you do that until you know the the question or the problem <laughs> sure well i i've i've written a lot of spreads so i have some on deck that like a lot of times there's already one that's that i've already written that might be relevant um and if i don't then uh we can like make one up on the spot sometimes um i should say too i don't do a ton of reading like i'm for, for the most part my tarot practice i use it for myself uh on a daily basis and then i do readings for other people occasionally i'm more focused on you know reading for yourself and then sharing tools and tips like through the blog of like this is what works for me in my practice for other people to also be reading for themselves if that makes sense yeah that's um, great I, I love reading for other people, but it takes a lot out of me energetically. Like I'm very yeah. introverted. And if I start to tune in, I feel like I'm, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm running more current than I'm comfortable with. Yeah, um, I can, so, I, I've experienced that. Yeah. Readings can get very buzzy and um, I don't like to do too many back to back. So I, I really try to pace how much I read for other people. Is that, and, is that, do you think because we're introverts or because we're empaths or because tarot has, or all three, you know, tarot has these, these qualities that involves possible psychic drain. If you're not, yeah. uh, if you don't have that barrier. Yeah. For me, it really feels like a combination of factors. One is being an introvert socially. Um, the, a second is being a spoonie and just having fatigue limits, yeah. you know, kind of tending yeah. to run a little bit lower energy than, than probably most people would <laughs> as a baseline. Um, totally and understand. Then the, the, the third is definitely the, I do feel, um, 
like it, it's not always necessarily draining in the moment it can actually be very energizing and it can mm-hmm. be almost mm-hmm. like too energizing and then yes okay after. you've put words to what I've always <laughs> felt yeah. like I'm like so into it that it's almost like it's got to be something about like similar to cortisol where you're it's like a fight or flight response it's so stimulating so exciting inside that when it's over, you feel so like, like you crash almost. Right. Exactly. It can, it can be a little bit of a high and it's like, and that's, it's fun. It's great for once in a while. I just don't want to do that every day back back to back. I don't think it would be healthy. And I do like, I do practice grounding techniques around it. I do practice meditation techniques around it. You know, I kind of do the baseline stuff that you're supposed to do to have, you know, your psychic boundaries up. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, that helps, but it just doesn't get me to the point where I, I think, like you said, with um, chronic illness and fatigue, it's, it's not, yeah, it's a, it's a factor. Like even things like if I'm doing a written spread, like I'll be in the zone and I won't notice how much time is passing and I'll have a hard time stopping writing until I have like 10 pages down and yeah. then my hands will yeah. just be tired physically because right, my hands get right. tired physically. So like, right. you know, it just, it's like those layers when they come together. And I really think that like, not everybody is, you know, and this is so important to know in tarot, like not everybody is called to be like a business psychic. Like you don't have to do right. that. You don't don't have yeah. to read for other people to be engaged in this craft very deeply. Um, there are ways to share uh, your tarot craft and community that aren't necessarily client readings, things like blogging, things like sharing spreads. that uh you know wants you to figure out what the reading should be directed towards or you know doesn't know what they want to talk about to draw an intersecting cross at the top of the reading to give you like a topic so uh, i'll have like two cards coming together and where their stories intersect that gives you like enough meat and enough ideas to to get a picture that's so cool of like what should we focus on what should we think about Um, yeah would you do it for me because i don't i've never I'm if so you get one to... of those readers who wants you to like predict their question, this is how you do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. One of the, one of the ways that you can do it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for, for playing. <laughs> sure. I'm game. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, pick a number between one and 10. And then that's the number I will stop shuffling off. <laughs> do I have to tell you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You actually do have to tell me that. Number. I can't. You can't tell me what it is. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> doesn't go that far. Okay. Nine. <laughs> nine. Nine. Okay. <laughs> All right. And this will be a uh, so shuffle nine times and we'll draw a cross of cards that'll just give us a topic to talk about. Give us something to give us something to look at. I don't need to count out loud, do I? <laughs> That'll be tedious on a podcast. <laughs> Just talking about swords and editing, and we have a sword on the table there. So seven of swords, this is a fun one. It's yeah, trickster saboteur figure. When I get the reversal, I think about internalized uh tricksteriness and uh self-sabotage is a big keyword for seven of swords reversed for me. Um but uh you know, it can be, it can be internal craftiness too. It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. <laughs> well, yeah, that's how um, I see seven of swords is that I kind of see it as like, it's like, how can I outsmart the situation? Not so much as maybe being ch- a trickster. Cause I don't play a lot of mental games or anything. It's mostly um, self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. 
Yep. The um uh surviving by your wits. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's all you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and sometimes yeah. it's all all you feel like you're doing is surviving. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, with the the reversal, uh things tend to be uh playing out a, a lot on internal and unconscious layers. Um and uh you know, that kind of, I, I associate reversals with the dream world side of life with, um, the inner experience. Um, that's great. I like hearing that. Um, and then this, the six of wands, I love the six of wands. So that is about, uh, victories and celebrating with your people. And, uh, it's like the road home after, uh, after a contest or a battle or something like that, that kind of victory parade. I feel Um, like I had a battle today in the last couple of days. And I feel like this conversation with you is the reward. Oh, <laughs> I do. That's really sweet. <laughs> um, that's lovely. It, it really is about um, like celebrating sometimes big victories or big wins or sometimes small ones, but celebrating the good things with um, with community with with your people with um, yeah the folks in your life. Yeah, are, I definitely uh, feel like you're my people, and I felt like I had to advocate for myself earlier today, and it was really upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that fits so perfectly there's a lot to talk about here let's give you a follow-up card what uh, do you want to do just uh how, how many shuffles should we do five five with this card um so in the the upright five of swords a lot of tarot decks have imagery of um some kind of intimidation or bullying or there's a power struggle and one side clearly has more power and it's um it's it's like a win-lose like a win-lose situation um and what i'm getting here with the reversal is um it's i'm getting a key phrase that comes from a meme that i was thinking about turning into a tarot spread actually i want to i wanted to write a tarot spread based off this idea of um put some battles back so like pick your battles no that's too many battles put some battles back and i I love it the first the seven i was self-advocating for this battle put some battles back and then how do i get that filter moving to put the battles back it's the victory card and Mm -hmm. clearly saying hey um you can be more effective and possibly celebrate your accomplishments um and have them recognized or whatever if you chill out and stop making everything so damn important to you (laughs) it's just the thing you know who cares yeah that's that's kind of fun where we have uh we have the cards kind of being able to change roles there because I like I would I I would have interpreted the five of swords as the bridging card as like you know putting your battles back as being the way that you get to that victory state but it can be both Mm. that like calming down and celebrating your wins and you know spending some time with people who get you spending some time celebrating what you can do well and recentering and focusing that can be how you get to putting figuring out which battles you're gonna you know i to to me tarot has kind of become and i approach it in a lot of ways as a sacred text um Mm. that uh it it feels a lot like a book um that a lot of people are writing together all at once um and if you consider tarot as a sacred text it's kind of 
uh, you know, it's different in the sense that it's still being written, it's actively being written, it's being written by everybody that uses it, by all these different decorators, all these different authors, all these different readers. It's a great um, way to look at it. And it explains why I felt so warmly welcomed. And I did not expect that. Like I've never fit in anywhere in my life. I felt like an alien. And when I started exploring the tarot community and trying to learn more, I have just connected with the most meaning is everything to me. So I think that's part of it, Mm -hmm. but like connecting with people on a meaningful level. um, Yeah. I truly found my people, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And because we're all, um, we're all contributing to it, to the collective. Yeah. And there's, there's so much room um, in in the tarot community, especially today. The history of tarot really is full of a lot of very diverse creators, like going back really far like that too. Like Pamela Coleman Smith was a biracial queer woman. It's a long history of, uh, you know, diverse or complex or marginalized people being core creators and I think that that's just increased and exploded now and there's yeah there is really so much room for queering so much room for neurodivergence so much room for Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. uh different faith perspectives different philosophies Come on and turn the day over 